I'm Brianne Bennis, and this is No End in Sight, a podcast about life with chronic illness. Quick update before we get started. This is the last of the interviews that I recorded in 2019. I'm really excited to finally be getting it out there, and I'm also excited that this means that work really is underway on our next batch of episodes. I'm so grateful to the folks who have signed up to financially support the show at patreon.com slash noendinsight. And this week, I want to thank Wingspan Health for sponsoring the episode transcript. So far, I've recorded five new stories, and I've hired Drew Marr, who you might know as Fibrofuckboy on Twitter, as a new associate producer to get things running more smoothly. You'll be learning lots more about Drew over the next couple episodes, so for now, let's travel back to the fall of 2019 when today's story was recorded. I'm talking to Adriana E. about Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, finding a new balance after diagnosis, and unpacking your own internalized ableism. Before we start, here's my disclaimer. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Make sure you talk to your practitioner about any questions or symptoms. Well, I like to get started just by asking people, how was your health as a kid? (laughs) All right. And so that's kind of a difficult question because I thought it was normal up until, you know, I got my diagnosis. And then I started thinking back and I'm sure I can't remember everything, but it explains a lot of things. Like I was delayed in standing and walking. Mm-hmm. I also was really physically just slow. Like everyone thought I was just lazy. And my nickname when I was growing up was Eeyore. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like all my teachers even called me that. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was like, you know, it was, it was yeah. a cute name for me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then I also could always like do random things like bend things weird just you know like party tricks is kind of what we call it mm-hmm. <laughs> and then yeah and then the, I the last one would be that I always had pain and I was always told that it was just growing pains and mm-hmm. it wasn't until like recently yeah that I was like wait <laughs> that's not possible when you're like in your 20s <laughs> yeah yeah you stopped growing and so this that one's a really interesting one to me. Yeah. Partly so I had growing pains that were growing pains and yeah. I didn't realize that it was like such a common thing that doctors say to yeah. people who turn out not to be having growing pains. Mm-hmm. So what was that pain like? Like how did it feel? So I think it felt actually like growing pains, like, you know, just because ra- they were just random everywhere, but mm-hmm. I think they were more intense because of my condition. It kind of might have made it more difficult so things were stretching and like you know being yeah or contracting or just doing weird things like joints being weird so it was I think it was more that it happened more frequently with me but they kept they kept you know brushing it off so at one point I just kind of like didn't even complain about it anymore yeah it wasn't ever like severe it's just like yeah yeah just like uncomfortable yeah okay so it's like some discomfort and flexibility obviously and then fatigue and that was just how your body was and I think like this comes up all the time too I feel like as kids like we don't really know how other Mm -hmm. people's bodies feel so unless it's something that is like obviously an acute crisis there's no reason to even think that like something weird is going on okay so was there a moment for you when things like started to change so kind of I I always like my health was always just inconvenient (laughs) I always like was going to the doctor for just things that like I had I have hypothyroidism and then I have anemia that kind of comes and comes back mm-hmm. and I always have to treat. So I always thought something was up with my health, but you know, 
they were so minor and just unrelated seeming that I just kind of brushed them off. Mm-hmm. But then it, you know, thing my health took a dramatic turn when I two years ago, no, a year and a half ago, where I just like everything started going wrong. All all systems. Okay, all, all systems at once. Failure. <laughs> yeah, all at once. It's just kind of like you know, it was one by one, but it just was super quick, like just dramatic decline mm-hmm. in health. So, you know, it wasn't until recently, but I think I always knew that something was going to happen to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's like a, oh, wait a minute. These things that have always been normal for me, it turns out aren't normal for other people. And yeah. like, does that mean anything? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, so just to back up for a sec. So you said you were hypothyroid and anemic. Is that right? Yeah. So the overall like umbrella condition that I have is Ehlers-Danlos syndrome mm-hmm. but it comes with a lot of friends right <laughs> it comes yes, with it a lot of comorbidities yeah so they're you know some of them aren't directly linked yet they find some they found some correlations and you know there's tons of studies still being done I say tons but I really mean a few <laughs> yeah well like um, a big one came out a big paper about yeah. Ehlers-Danlos came out like last night or something i just saw things about it that it's much less rare than which people have been saying we think it's not it's not diagnosed yeah Yeah. doctors don't even really know about it yeah but yeah it comes with a lot of comorbidities that like kind of get diagnosed on their own and just you know nobody really puts together Mm -hmm. the big picture right so like issues with my heart just like just random like things that aren't harmful, really. Mm-hmm. Things in my heart, they just kind of associated with hypothyroidism and brushed it off. And now they're finding out that it's actually a problem. Yeah. Okay. So it had been like, and, and also those are kind of easy ones, like thyroid problems in general, and also like anemia. So iron levels, like they show up mm-hmm. in standard blood tests, right? right? So like they're things that people might pick up a lot earlier. And yeah. like, Oh, your thyroid. That explains all of your fatigue. Oh, same with any same with your iron levels. Um yep. <laughs> anyway, so you said a few years ago was when things really started to change. So what happened first? So it was about a year and a half ago and it's kind of there was kind of like a wrench that was thrown into like my finding out what's wrong with me, and that was my trip to Europe. So things started after that. So I kind of attributed it to the trip, like maybe I caught a virus or something or maybe just something was triggered from being over there. And so I didn't really, I wasn't really persistent. And it all started with swollen lymph nodes, Okay. just painless and just annoying. They really were like all over my neck and some of them like in my face, mm-hmm. but they weren't huge and they weren't like, they didn't feel like anything like a tumor. So, you know, my doctors were saying that too. Oh, you just got back from Europe. So it's probably a virus that you caught there. Ehlers-Danlos syndrome is also not really lymph nodes don't really swell. I mean, maybe for the comorbidities, but for in of itself, they don't swell. Right. That's not like a classic symptom or something. Exactly. So that's kind of a piece of the puzzle that really isn't even solved. Right. Like we just don't know why that happened. But then it continued with, they they actually started getting better. And then it continued to, like, I started having shortness of breath. And I think that was just because of my heart things that's going on. And then I was like super fatigued, but it was like, it was just a like a bone tired, like all the time where I couldn't even finish a day of work. I had to go home early. I was just like falling asleep, which is super rare for me because I would work like 80 hours a week. I was putting my all into my job and, you know, having fun with it even too. So I was, it really kind of brought up a red flag for me. Yeah. It's drastic, even if it's hard to explain. 
Exactly. Yeah. And, but even my doctors at that point, at that point were still like, no, it's probably from your trip. And I wasn't, I was starting to, you know, be like, like fight back, but yeah. maybe it's not, you know? Yeah. Like <laughs> that seems strange, else. but I don't yeah. have any other ideas. Yep. Yeah. But of course they run a bunch of tests on me and they, they come back fine. Like maybe some mild, you know, issues that are just negligible to them mm-hmm. or just things that can easily be explained by hypothyroidism, even though the no, the levels were normal. Right. <laughs> they just wanted to blame it on that. And then, you know, all kinds of things. I don't know if they actually just started, but, or if I just started noticing them. It's a hard question in general, yeah, I just want to say. Is. Yeah. yeah. It's really difficult to, to differentiate, you know, what's what. So then I, you know, like my heart would have inappropriate tachycardia which is like when you're just sitting and doing nothing and it just takes off yeah yep and or like you know pots postural orthostatic uh, tachycardia syndrome Mm -hmm. um, where you go from laying down to standing and then your blood pressure drops like heart races and you almost pass out yep so that I started noticing more and more that was happening and then the pain also started in my joints which then they thought it was they didn't think but they're like okay we'll look into it a little bit more we'll go down a lupus workup and okay. see if you have that and because of the joint and pain like that because of the joint pain i guess and, and the and fatigue probably and the fatigue yeah, yeah. And some of the other symptoms that i was having like i had weird like bleeding under my skin like random bruises when i don't remember hurting myself and then also petechia which are little red dots of broken blood vessels they almost mm-hmm. look like a rash they were coming in so things like that that can also happen in lupus um there's a lot of overlapping ugh, overlapping symptoms mm-hmm. that they went down that route, and so I got put on treatment for lupus. Some tests were showing up a little bit abnormal that kind of were in line with lupus, like an ANA, like I had antibodies, you know, yeah. that were, but they were very low. So yeah. that could also be just, I naturally just have higher antibodies. Right. Or but, just like inflammation, because it's not yeah. like a highly specific test, even though it yeah. like points to lupus. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then there's like some other like specific antibodies that are for lupus that are also kind of just barely positive which yeah. could be just written off on the- yeah pretty much so I went through a few rheumatologists because I was just not happy with the answers they were giving me right. and just brushing me off so it was my fourth no my third rheumatologist who finally he took me seriously and he was hardcore going down the lupus route and I kind of thought it was lupus. Like, you know, I also had like weirdness, redness on my face sometimes, you know, almost like a butterfly rash. Right. It still might be. Yeah. But yeah, he he was investigating more of like a an autoimmune disease um, like lupus or Sjogren's. And so he's the one who put me on Plaquenil. Okay. Um, which is a treatment for lupus. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, you know, let's try this out. If, if it works, if it helps with the pain or if it does anything for your symptoms and it should give you more energy we'll continue it and then we'll diagnose it as lupus because that's a great reaction to a lupus treatment right so like that, if you respond to it your blood work yeah. is not quite conclusive but if you respond to the treatment then we'll assume or like right. take away from that that that's what it is exactly yeah because yeah. lupus is so hard to diagnose also it's there's no just one test so mm-hmm. all these random tests that were kind of looking a little weird plus you know let's try the Plaquenil yeah. he was ready to diagnose me with lupus so I, I'm still on that on Plaquenil. So that was 
Yeah, that was a few months ago. It, he upped my dose because I think one of the other rheumatologists also had that idea, but I never filled it. I just went to him. Mm-hmm. So he upped my dose and then was like, take it for a few months and come back and see me and then we'll see if it helps or yeah. Yeah. Like what's happened basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I don't think it's doing anything and I haven't seen him again yet. Okay. <laughs> so I'm still in that area of, you know, figuring out what, what. Yeah. But then it was my fourth rheumatologist who was the one who said, you know, your joints are loose. Yeah. <laughs> They're just weird. And she was like playing with my knee and my hips and stuff. And she's like, yeah, this is really not normal. Yeah. And I think in my research of, of looking for what's wrong with me, lupus did come up a lot, but then Ehlers-Danlos syndrome came up a few times too, but I completely dismissed it <clears throat> because I didn't think I was hypermobile. I thought it was normal. You know, I didn't think I had stretchy skin, but I do. I thought just everything was just me, maybe a little bit weird, but yeah, normal. Yeah. And well, all those descriptions, like what you just said, like they're still relative and both actually for diagnostic. But yeah, like if your exactly. skin is the only skin you've ever had, you're not like, oh, yes, I definitely Nothing feel to compare it to. <laughs> yeah, I feel confident that this is much stretchier than other people's. Like, it's not <laughs> until you find out that it is that you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I could see that. That's weird. Yeah. And I don't think I also ever like stretched my face skin, which is stretchy. And, yeah. and then I tried that once and I looked in the mirror. I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> I can see how that's probably not normal. But like, you know, skin on my hand, I just would kind of play with and yeah. It was stretchy, but I thought it was fine. And then my fingers bend really weird. I think I was told that by my grandma or something, but mm-hmm. I just kind of brushed it off as her being older, so she can't do it. But some people, you know, they don't have Ehlers-Danlos and they are hyper- hypermobile. So I just kind of thought it was that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she, she didn't actually diagnose me or even mention Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Okay. So she was just like, your joints are loose. That's yeah. interesting, basically, exactly. with no, not attaching it to anything. Yeah. So, and she's like, yeah. So at that point I was having the pain. So she's like, that, that explains your pain. She, she was not convinced that it was anything autoimmune or anything that was under her realm at all. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but she basically was like, you just need to work out more and then you'll be fine. And I was like, but like, wait, <laughs> what about my other symptoms, you know, like that are still bothering me and not getting any better? Yeah. Like fatigue usually yeah. doesn't respond that well to exercise as like exactly. no matter how many times we get told that it's not true <laughs> right exactly so you know she totally was like super satisfied with that analysis of me and that you know conclusion that she came to <laughs> but I wasn't and so she still was like you know just try it then come back to me if you're having problems but if you're fine you're fine like like if exercising dismissed. works plus the black one that you're already taking yeah then okay. you're fine So, but I looked into it a little bit more because, you know, like I said, I was like super surprised that she said that. And then Ehlers-Danlos syndrome came up again in my research. And I would always only look at like actual studies, you know, like, you know, subjective websites. I always like stayed away from because I didn't want to turn into that person. Yeah. (laughs) That's like bringing in tons of like papers of random websites, their doctor and Mm self-diagnosing. I was really careful to try and not do that. Also hard. It is also hard, you know, especially when you think you're falling in certain buckets like lupus. It did look a lot like lupus, Mm -hmm. like just the symptoms I was having and those weird, mildly weird um, tests. Mm -hmm. But the only thing that actually explains everything was Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So I got I came back to that and I was like, it can't be like, can't be that. 
But then I actually looked into it more, like in websites like the Ehlers-Danlos Society that actually know what it is, not just Google, which says it's just hypermobility. Right. Yeah. And then I read all the comorbidities and the symptoms of them. And it just, it just matched everything that mm-hmm. I was having, all the problems um, I was having. And so I went back to her <laughs> and I was like, okay, what do you think it's Ehlers? Do you think it's maybe Ehlers-Danlos syndrome? I sent her a message, I think. And then she got back to me and she was like, it's the same thing. Hyper, joint hypermobility and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome are the same thing. And like she reiterated that in her, in her message. And I was like, but I wrote it wasn't. I didn't say that to her. Yeah, yeah. I was like they didn't want to be that person who's arguing with their doctor. I, yeah, which has its own baggage associated. Like I've definitely been that person and it is, yeah. it doesn't feel good. And it's not no. always, well, it's usually not fruitful. So yeah, yeah. but definitely. okay. So it's she, difficult. yeah. okay yeah so she was just like hyper when i told you that your joints are hypermobile it's the same as if i had told you that you had ehlers-danlos syndrome basically yes yeah and then you know that kind of goes to show how misinformed people are even doctors but that is not at all that is like one of the many 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 symptoms of ehlers-danlos and the systems it it does affect other systems in your body you know Mm -hmm. pretty much all of them Mm -hmm. (laughs) between the comorbidities or just something weird happening from the disease the disease itself it yeah it messes with you a lot Uh, so I kind of dismissed her as my doctor I didn't respond (laughs) and I was just like I'm gonna move on to someone else but I was happy with my previous rheumatologist who had diagnosed me with or was trying to diagnose me with lupus yeah so number three yeah and he was he like he took like a blank piece of paper when I first saw him and just like like pushed the computer screen aside and he's like what are your symptoms and went through all of them he was the only doctor who went through all the symptoms and listed them and just wrote them down and was like writing notes as he was asking me questions about them Mm -hmm. and so when I went back to him he kind of did that again but not as dramatic (laughs) he kind of knew some of the symptoms already so it's only a few that like had follow-up questions about and so he's like he was nodding a lot. He nods a lot. <laughs> and so he was nodding as I was like saying, I think it might actually be this, you know, I don't want to self-diagnose, but you know, it just, everything fits in this bucket. And so he agreed, you know, he's like, I don't feel comfortable with diagnosing with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome itself, but I do know that joint hypermobility isn't always just joint hypermobility can come with other things. And he's right. Mm-hmm. And it's understandable that he doesn't want to diagnose Ehlers-Danlos syndrome just because it's it's kind of difficult to diagnose and really subjective, and it does take knowledge of the disease to diagnose it. And he just didn't feel like he had enough mm-hmm. knowledge to fully diagnose it. And he also wasn't convinced that I don't also have an autoimmune issue. Right. So he's like, continue the Plaquenil, you know. Yeah. Just stick just with see that. how that goes. Yeah. But you're definitely hypermobile, and I can definitely see that that accounts for many of your symptoms. So I haven't gone back to see him or to see him yet, but I did make an appointment with a geneticist mm-hmm. who did diagnose me with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, um, the hypermobile type. But the jury's out on whether I have the other types. Right. Yet. So, so you're waiting on the actual genetic tests. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> For the other ones, but you know, I don't think I have any of the other types. So it's probably going to come back negative, and then at that point, he's going to just. Say Ehlers-Danlos and then send 
to all my doctors a note because that's kind of what you have to do. <laughs> yeah, you just go find someone who knows enough about the yep. specific thing that you need them to know about. And like, as you have just described, like you can go through a lot of people first. Yeah. How has insurance been with going through a bunch of specialists? That is an excellent question. <laughs> and I am extremely, extremely lucky. Um, my boss has been very, very understanding, very understanding. And so I kind of am working more remote sometimes. So he's, he's been great. And I've been kind of working remote and also being more part time. And my staff have kind of been helping me too. They've been taking on some responsibilities, you know, nothing too administrative or, you know, but Mm -hmm. just some of the things that the smaller things that I would have to worry about normally they just been taking it on and they've been great you know they've been understanding as well as understanding as someone without a chronic illness can be right yeah so they they're doing their best i can tell that you know sometimes that they they also have their own opinions about what's going on but anyway yeah since my boss has been so understanding that even though i'm part time i'm still on the insurance so i am also on the platinum which is the highest tier so and he pays for a ton of it like my premiums are I think 180 a month, but if you like go back and look at all my doctor visits, which are I actually started counting, it's over 40. I think I stopped counting mm-hmm. because it's too much, yeah. too annoying. Yeah, it didn't and, like the list lost its meaning yeah. at a certain point. You're like, okay, exactly. it's a lot. I get it. <laughs> yeah, I think I might have fell fallen asleep. <laughs> yeah, but it it like it definitely covered my CT scans and MRIs and you know emergency room visits and all that all my doctor visits and you know I always had a copay and stuff but very very low copay Mm -hmm. and my deductible is $250 great I know (laughs) and some of the times they don't even have like a co-insurance that you have to pay like a certain percentage they'll cover Mm -hmm. they actually cover a lot um so even like a sleep study, like one of my rheumatologists was like, ah, it's a sleep problem is your other issue, you know? Yeah, she so sent you me have to fatigue. Yeah, <laughs> like it's, yeah, sleep hygiene. So she sent me to a sleep doctor and he, he kind of was like, why are you here? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and Good I was like, question. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But it turns out I actually do have sleep issues. So, but he's like, I don't know why you're here, but we can just like look into it and order an in-lab sleep study, but your insurance probably won't cover it. and you know, we'll probably have to do the home one first. So, but we'll try it. They tried it. My insurance came back almost immediately. Like, yeah, we'll cover it. Yeah, go <laughs> we'll ahead. In lab. That's fine. No diagnosis needed. Just because <laughs> yeah. they didn't have anything. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. If the doctor was like, I don't really know why we're looking. Then like, yeah. what are you going to put on the form? Like, tired. Yeah. <laughs> insurance authorizations are their own, like, bizarre mm-hmm. quagmire. But. Oh my goodness. Yes. And, you know, I actually am on both sides. I'm in healthcare too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm on both sides fighting as a patient and fighting for a patient. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's so, it's like pulling teeth. <laughs> yeah, I bet. It's, so. yeah, it's, I, so I grew up in Canada where there is, right, like socialized medicine, public health care. Yeah, yeah. And I live in the States now and it's, it's been such a like rude awakening kind of to have mm-hmm. like all of the burden of the bureaucracy that just like was never a part of it before or was never a yep. part of my experience before. You never needed to think about it. No, no. And it's, it's yep. like, 
So all of these things, like choosing insurance, I think two years ago, maybe when I hadn't really been through as much of the kind of like chronic illness side of it, I was like, I don't know how to pick this. I don't know what any of this means. Yeah, I don't know what's going to be important to me. And then like flash forward to this year where I was like, okay, I know what I actually used last year. I know what I'm going to anticipate using in the future. But it's like a lot of junk you have to keep in your head. Yep, definitely. And I don't know anyone in healthcare who is like, yeah, I like our healthcare system, which is what a lot of people argue who are for privatized healthcare. They argue that, you know, doctors get paid more and all that. Nobody likes it. Not even doctors. Doctors don't get paid more. Like, they're terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Well, like, the billing systems are, right? Like, the way that EHR, like, impacts how doctors have to work is also, like, like a huge factor in doctor burnout. Exactly. Yeah. And I actually want to touch on that um, because a lot of people rag on hospitals and mm-hmm. and clinics and how much they charge it's like it's like they should it just should be illegal to charge as much and all that but what actually is happening is that insurances only reimburse a certain amount mm-hmm. of what we charge them right like like a low amount like 30 percent. Mm-hmm. it's really low so we have to up our prices in order to actually be paid what we should be paid and yeah. even then it's still a little low <laughs> yeah so but but we are not allowed to lower our prices for a patient, for, for someone who doesn't have insurance. That's mm-hmm. in their contracts. If like almost all insurances have that within their contracts with a provider that they cannot change the prices for anybody. They mm-hmm. have to charge everybody the same. Not many people really know that. So they get angry at the hospitals or clinics that are, that are you know, expensive. But we have to. If, you know, if, if they find out that we're charging different, they audit us, then they drop us. And it's kind of like, Insurance is kind of talk, you know, so yeah. then everybody drops us and we can no longer see anybody. Right. Like you can't take insurance. Yeah. Because of trying to offer like affordable care to people who yep. do not come in with insurance. The, it like, literally can shut our doors. Yeah. Because that was like one of the things that I just really had no idea about even is like that you even if your insurance isn't paying for anything, you mm-hmm. will pay less out of pocket if you are insured. Like the main benefit of insurance it's kind of what you're describing. Like yeah. when you have a high deductible, it's just exactly. yeah. showing. They still will cover something. Yeah. And that's another thing, actually. They don't actually pay. So yeah. when you have a high deductible and you haven't met it, yeah. they don't actually pay us. They no. tell us to write off yeah, the they amount just, that they're going to cover, quote unquote. Yeah, it's like they've negotiated a price. Yep. And that's the benefit, I guess, to the patient. But like yep. premiums can be really high. Like, mm-hmm. on, like on the market, the state marketplace in Massachusetts, I don't know, like one of the plans that I had, it's like, at least $300 a month, plus the deductible is like $3,500. Yeah, yeah, so you're just paying so much money in order to pay for your care. Yep. It's, Everybody kind of loses with high deductibles. Like, yeah. we don't get paid what we're supposed to by the insurance. And yeah. you don't get coverage like you're supposed to by that insurance. So it's just miserable. It's a terrible system. Yeah, it's baffling. And I also, I now I just want to rag on the system more. I Because like <laughs> what you're means. saying, what you're saying is like a lot of, like healthcare professionals also don't like it, right? And I had a right. conversation with somebody recently who I think she was a nurse, but she she like runs um a home care dialysis company maybe. So like mm-hmm. she is in the system, but she was like, "Well, don't you just think that Americans would never go for a public system because they would lose their choice?" And I was like, "That's a com- like Americans the would opposite. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm like, I don't what do you mean? And she's like like their choice of providers. And I was like, Well, when I lived in Canada, I lived in a city, so I had a big choice in providers. Mm-hmm. And now that I live in the States, I live in like a small town. So I have yep. 
a small choice of providers and it has nothing to do with public or private health care. Like that is a completely made up conservative talking it point that has is. nothing to do with anything. It doesn't even make sense. It's no, a- no. They're like, well, a public program will tell you which doctor to go to. I'm like, okay. It already, well, first of all, if that was a problem, it already does. Like yeah. if you're on Medicaid, they tell you where to go. Yeah. But so but, does private insurance. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, but it doesn't, it, it really wouldn't restrict your providers at all. It's like, it's just not a real thing. So it. <laughs> it's all a mess. Great. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Thank you for listening to my rant about that. Um, no but okay. So what we had been saying, so you were saying that your insurance is good as far as these things go. And yeah. so that's been helpful. You did and a sleep test. And not only that, like my, my, my employer is very understanding and accommodating of me. That is both of those things are super rare with people with chronic illness, you know, Mm -hmm. and I feel like terrible, you know, I feel so bad that, you know, other people can't actually do this. It makes me angry at, you know, our our system too, again, Yeah. (laughs) like just angry at everything. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm also afraid that there may be a point where I can't work at all because it's getting harder and harder. I mean, managing a chronic illness is a full-time job. Yeah. It really, yeah. Like, like I said, like over 40 doctor visits and, you know, that's not including physical therapy and mm-hmm. acupuncture, which I'm trying. Yeah. It's just, it's just exhausting. And then also having to do work. Yeah. It's just, and while you're fatigued already. Yeah. It's really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It's difficult and it's like poorly supported and yeah, you're lucky. Especially, I think, when people are in the position, so you were working full-time, it sounds like, previously with the same employer, and you were able yeah. to scale back your hours. Like, it's not, a couple of people I've talked to have been in that position, and that's almost like the best-case scenario yeah, of, of, like, I have a good relationship with you already, and you trust me, and, like, mm-hmm. know that I'm competent, and if I can't do, however, I mean, you had said, like, more than 40 hours, but, like, yeah. <laughs> I can't work full-time anymore, but what can I do part-time? Right. And so then I kind of still do everything. Yeah. But I think in those cases, like the employer is really dependent on the employee. So yeah, <laughs> this is my case too. So yeah, I have job security. Yeah. And that helps for yeah. sure. And so, okay. So you got the diagnosis from the geneticist and you're waiting on the other results just to see what might happen. Mm-hmm. And you're still taking the black one, all you said, but you don't think it's yeah. helping. So what do you think? I know you're kind of like, this is pretty new parts of this, but like, what does your kind of day to day look like moving forward since like Ehlers-Danlos doesn't have like a specific treatment protocol, right? So maybe PT helps or whatever, as you mentioned, what are you looking at right now? It's, it's really difficult. You know, I think that's a little extra little bit that makes it difficult to live with because nobody knows about it. Nobody really knows how to treat it or how to manage it because you can't really treat it, treat it. Mm -hmm. So you're doing a lot of the research yourself and you're coming up with a protocol yourself. You're like kind of your own primary care doctor yeah. because nobody else is that invested in you Mm -hmm. to actually do this for you. You know, some doctors will look into it once, good doctors will look into it once you tell them you have it just so they can help you, but it's still a lot to know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a lot of information. So you know, I don't think I'm kind of in this area of thought where I don't think I'm actually going to ever really get better, especially like I was diagnosed at 27 or no, that was, I was 25 and it's 
it's declining rapidly. Like that's not good for prognosis. But you know, it's still you can still try and do things to slow it down. So that's I'm like doing everything I can to try and slow it down and help the symptoms as much as possible. And so it's 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 different every day. Yeah. I know I have to take physical therapy, do physical therapy twice. And I'm doing acupuncture once a week and seeing my doctors as they tell me to. But in between all that, it's kind of like, I don't know what every day is going to be like. It yeah. might be a great day. Like sometimes I wake up feeling relatively great, you know, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm never like perfect. But and then some days I wake up and I just like can't get out of bed Yeah. between the fatigue and the pain. So it's difficult. And, you know, I did hire a caretaker, sort of, mm-hmm. kind of like a helper. She comes um, in once a week for three hours. She's actually coming today. And she she just helps me with cleaning. Yeah. And, yeah, and and helps me with just, like, the, the little things about my health, how, you know, you have to organize everything and what what are you doing at home for physical therapy. So she's really, really helpful. And I always try and recommend to other people who have chronic illnesses that and if you live alone, because I live alone, or if somebody else doesn't want to really be invested in this, then just look into hiring somebody. I know it's hard for a lot of people because they don't work, too. Yeah. There's some people that, that will work for, for really cheap. I don't want to say cheap because that's kind of a bad word to use, but for, you know, really they don't cost as much. And there's a lot of people who are understanding and, you know, kind of want to do it just because mm-hmm. they're understanding. So yeah, I always just recommend just at least look for somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See if somebody can help. Another thing that like now I'm curious about is like, there's mm-hmm. this, I think about like work training and like time banks and stuff. I wonder mm-hmm. if there are models for that for chronic illness for because cost is such a barrier for so many people. But like a weird thing about chronic illness is that it can happen at any time. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people who are sick leave the workforce with a lot of skills who are like, well, I can't work full time. But kind of like you just said, like some days I wake up feeling great. Like Mm -hmm. it would be wonderful to be able to leverage that for help with like physical things. I don't know if there's anything like that. I never actually thought of that. But if anyone knows of anything. Wasting their their talent. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like. I don't mean it in like a, you know, like capitalism way, right, right. but just like when you have skills and you have interests and you want to do things, but committing yep. to an actual job can be like, is more of a risk of burnout of like, yeah. I'm going to miss deadlines. I'm not going to do it. But yeah. if anybody knows of any kind of like time bank model, now I'm really curious about it. It's very yeah. like, <laughs> like commune-y, yeah. but somebody might be doing it. So yeah, um, that's interesting. <laughs> But yeah, having help, yeah, because it's like stuff like cleaning, like you say, or like food prep that can be really difficult. Yeah, she does that too. Yeah. Yeah. And she just, it's just overall, like, she's also researching things for me and just really involved with my health. And that, even just that alone, Mm -hmm. like if she didn't do anything else, like clean or, or do food prep, even just helping me manage my health, it is, it's like just such a huge weight that's like taken off your shoulders because you're not doing it alone anymore. Mm-hmm. Somebody's trying to actually understand how, what you're going through and help you get through it. And I think just people really, really need that when you have a chronic illness. Yeah. You know, some, some families aren't up for the task of doing that. So 
no finding someone else yeah yeah outsourcing because like one thing that i think about a lot kind of and you had just said you sort of become your own like primary care practitioner in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. it's like there isn't this is sort of the job of a pcp but like we don't really have case managers built in a lot of the time so for people who have this like weird kind of disparate symptoms and it takes a while to try to put them together and then even if you do put them together it takes a long time to like find a treatment that works or keep trying new treatments like there's all of this work that goes on that patients are doing and other people are probably or like there are people out there who might be better qualified than patients are at the beginning right and like definitely yep and like certainly more efficient than somebody who's sick and like it, it also boggles my mind that that's not something like that would make the rest of the system more efficient. And it's weird to me that it's not a part of it. Yeah, um, it is. It, and I definitely think somebody should, like everybody should have at least one person who is an advocate for mm-hmm. what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so on the, not even really the flip side, but as another part of the like daily life stuff, since you've been navigating mm-hmm. the symptoms much longer than you've been navigating the diagnosis, have you done any experiments yourself? So you've been trying plaque vanilla more recently, but I know a lot of people when they first get fatigue or when they first get like unexplained joint pain will end up with dietary interventions and mm-hmm. other lifestyle interventions. And did you get into kind of any of that? Is there anything that's worked? Anything that um, really hasn't? I yeah, I did try. It's just so much, you know, I did. I'm, I'm still trying um, different yeah. things. I, I take different vitamins and a lot of pills yeah. to just see if that will help. You know, I take vitamin D, which mm-hmm. I'm in Seattle. Everybody's deficient here. Yeah. <laughs> so I take that. I take vitamin C to help my iron, which the doctor didn't tell me to do, but I looked it up and everybody is like, you need to take vitamin C also with iron. Mm-hmm. So I do that. And just a bunch of other things that I think will help like calcium and things that will help me sleep. And the, there are some lifestyle changes that I'm doing, but since the, the symptoms are so chaotic, you know, they, they show up whenever they want sometimes, and then they go away and they're not always the same symptoms. So they, it's a little more difficult to try and figure out a good lifestyle for a disease like this. Oh yeah. (laughs) It's just, you know, you you have to do the best you, you can, but it's just hard. I mean, I've been trying to, to eat different things to see if that helps some symptoms. I've been trying to, you know, do be more active, mm-hmm. which is really hard. Yeah, <laughs> that was of like course. The hardest thing. Yeah. Um, but it's hard to tell. Like, I, I could not tell you right now that this has been helping or this has been helping. The only thing that I can say for sure that, that makes things worse is lack of sleep. And That's... I do have, yeah, insomnia. That's really difficult, which is great. I saw a sleep doctor. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of helping me out with that. And he's giving me a medication that isn't as strong as like Valium mm-hmm. to try and help me sleep. Mm-hmm. And it's been helping. And I've been noticing that the days that I get good sleep, I feel much better. Yeah. Usually, you know, yeah. not always, but usually. No, I relate to that. That's I feel like I've said that to people so many times. It's like sleep is the only reliable connection with how I'm doing. And still, like you just said, like I could have a really good night's sleep and have a shitty day. But like good days pretty much always follow good nights of sleep. And like yeah. bad night of sleep, definitely going to be a bad day. Yeah, exactly. 
And then it's hard because like stuff like diet, say, because I've I've been down like a lot of diet rabbit holes to try to yeah. figure stuff out. And it's like there's never any connection. Maybe I feel like my baseline's a little bit better, but I also seriously wonder how much of it is like not being worried that what I'm eating is making me sicker. So like yeah my body there's, there's two sides to it yeah like my me- the mental side of it of just like the worry that i'm doing something wrong and that that's yeah. contributing to how i feel eating like paleo or like the autoimmune protocol or mm-hmm. whatever doing that and doing that like pretty strictly for a couple of weeks i'll always be like okay now i can let go of the worry that food is causing me problems but i have no idea if my baseline is any better like there's no there's no evidence yeah, of that one way hard, or the other. It's impossible to tell. Yeah. And even, and also like, it's hard to make all these changes in your life and stick to them. Mm-hmm. Like I tried the autoimmune protocol, but I never, it was so hard for me to stick to it just because it's not something I did before. And I'm also changing this and this and this and this. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's so easy to fall back into your old life so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's difficult to, to change everything and then adhere to everything because yeah. it really does change your whole life. <laughs> yeah. And I think like that's one of the places where if, if it's obviously making a difference, it's so much easier. So mm-hmm. like the first time that I did a really kind of intense dietary intervention, I had really bad eczema, like all over my body. Ooh. I was scratching I- until I bled all the time. Like you know, that whatever my doctor was giving me wasn't helping. And so I went on this intense diet and it worked. It totally cleared up the eczema. Like I couldn't, it was like ruining my life. Like it was just so That's like a dream. Yeah. Like when you find something that actually is helping, it's like, oh, it's amazing. And it was like the connection was so obvious. It was so easy. And so I was following that diet pretty strictly for quite a while. And that situation, it was like, yeah, this is a no-brainer. Like, mm-hmm. not feeling that way is worth not eating bread yeah. or whatever. <laughs> and then slowly, like, I, you know, brought stuff back in and the skin problem didn't come back. And so I have, like, a kind of different moderated diet now. But nothing oh, else has ever felt that way for, like, the rest of what, what is up with my body. Like, I have nerve pain and I have some other stuff going on. And, like, nothing's ever had such an obvious impact. And so mm-hmm. nothing like, has ever been as easy to follow as that was. Well, that's great. I mean, it's it's little victories, one yeah. victory at a time. And yeah. You can't conquer the whole thing at once. No, it's it's a long process to conquer things, but yeah, once you get one, it's amazing. It's this great feeling. Yeah, like this is a helpful thing. I will yes. do this helpful thing. I will continue doing this. <laughs> yeah, um, and so then related to like all of the different things that you can try, uh, have you gotten very involved in like any online spaces around chronic illness? I actually, yes, I am definitely involved in a lot of them. I'm not like, I don't do social media, really. Mm -hmm. So I'm not all about, you know, being on there with my real identity. So, you know, things like Reddit, where you have a username, you know, that's kind of like how I communicate Mm -hmm. and things like, you know, even the the Ellos Danlos Society and like certain groups that are here in Washington, I just still like have a voice, but I just don't want to really put my identity out there just yet yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and there's two sides of it because like there are definitely people who are doing like advocacy stuff which is great Mm -hmm. and i also do not think that everyone needs to do that because it takes energy and then there's also yeah like the support group side of it which i think anywhere can do and yeah can be good and bad like (laughs) different spaces have different energies kind of that that are sometimes really helpful and sometimes really like okay that was a lot of 
whatever perspective that was. Back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm ready for a break. I just joined a bunch of new like chronic illness related Facebook groups. And mm-hmm. in some ways, they're the worst because whatever it's for, there will be people naming like really normal experiences. Like the example that I like to use is like, oh, coffee makes me really wired. Like, is that caused by this condition? You're like, mm-hmm. no, that's just caused by coffee. But like, there's like so many posts of that kind of thing. Yeah. It's exhausting. <laughs> and you just roll your eyes. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I don't, I get it. Like, I have questions like this too. I'm sure some of my posts come off this way, but it's like, yeah. online spaces can be overwhelming with. Just have like the exact same symptoms as me and ask those questions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's super unrealistic. But you know, once you know, when when good questions that kind of relate to you come about in mm-hmm. those forums and stuff, it's it's awesome. Yeah. Like you know, like things on like I said, Reddit. You know, when somebody posts a question, I'm like, yeah. is this normal? Yeah. And then like people are commenting. I have to go through all the comments. I have to see what everybody says. And then like you know, there's also there's a lot of contradiction mm-hmm. in the comments, and so you kind of have to come up with your own mm-hmm. answer to that question. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's it's nice to, to hear all those opinions. Yeah. And yeah. And so, like, you know, I'm not like I said, I'm not on social media. Um, but I think, you know, this is like this podcast is a start of me actually really getting out there because I, I just see a lot of people who who are just struggling to get a diagnosis still, which it's just such a, a grueling process. Mm-hmm. And some people don't even get their diagnosis. And I was lucky enough to be within the healthcare system to know what's what, to know what to fight for, who to go to and all that. But not everybody has that knowledge. And I think it's really, really important to spread as much of that knowledge that I can to patients, but also doctors who just, you know, and the good doctors are the one who know, are the ones who know that they don't know something yeah. and they continue about it. It's the bad doctors who have, you know, the mugs that say, don't confuse your Google search with my medical degree. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we do know things more than you. Yeah. You don't live with this. Yeah, and also like it was probably covered for like half an hour in one lecture <laughs> in medical school. And then if you never saw it during your, t- like, during your early training, you just don't yeah. know about it. That's not, it doesn't... Uh. <laughs> and you know, it, it you know, doctors like that actually make it worse than people think because mm-hmm. sometimes they get so upset at that or just they need to they need to validate their knowledge that they go against what you say that you mm-hmm. found out about that they like make it an effort to just say you're wrong that yeah. your Google search is wrong and I'm better. Yeah. So that becomes another problem uh, and then I just I just think doctors need to no, that's what medical, you know, continuing medical education is for. Oh, yeah. So, so you can change your opinion on things. It doesn't have to be the same your whole life. Yeah. Yeah. And like I because I've been you're, you're talking about like systemic stuff earlier. And I've been mm-hmm. thinking a lot now because this this is like my I'm past 50 interviews. So I think by the end of this, like I'm doing an interview sprint right now, I'll be close to 70. And I'm at a point where I'm like, I would actually love to start talking to doctors about mm-hmm about like the pressures that make it so difficult to handle chronic illness in general. Because yeah. like, obviously, PCPs aren't set up to take a full history, you know, like they have a 15 or 20 mm-hmm. minutes with you once a year. Mm-hmm. And when you show up with chronic symptoms, it like derails their whole day. And that's not their fault. Like there are so many other competing pressures. Yeah. And to just like, get a better understanding of all of the things that are happening under the scene, behind the scenes, because I think it's like, people who 
aren't embedded in the medical system at the time Mm -hmm. when they get sick have like this idea that it works the way that we see on tv like the way that it looks Mm -hmm. on like house yeah house or gray's anatomy or whatever that like if your doctor is good they're gonna figure out what's wrong with you right away and that's just not realistic no Um, and you know and it's not gonna take one hospital visit it's probably going to take many, and you're the one who has to put the bu- the puzzle pieces together, just because mm-hmm. you're going to get a different doctor every time. Yeah. And and yet doctors they do you know they do have a defense in in this whole you know struggling to find a chronic illness or get a diagnosis, and it is how they are trained in mm-hmm. in medical school. You know that's why people with Ellers Danlos call themselves zebras, mm-hmm. right? Because that you know they learn a phrase in medical school, which is along the lines of if you hear hoofbeats behind you, don't assume it's a zebra, assume it's a horse. Go for the more common diagnosis, not the rare ones. And they kind of drill that in too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, to the point where doctors just don't believe they could ever get a rare illness in their clinic. Right. You know, and they could, you know, and they will. Yeah. Sometime in their career, they're going to run into someone who has a really rare disease, someone has, has like a really, really rare disease that you not in a million years could have ever guessed you would have ended up with, you know, mm-hmm. a patient who has this yeah. certain disease. But, but, you know, it's, it's drilled in a little too much to, to just ignore rare illnesses. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like it's also compounded by all of the, the tendency to like assume that anything vague. So like, unspecific pain or fatigue or whatever Mm -hmm. is a mental health problem like one question that i have that i don't think there's good data on really is like if we looked at every single person that went to their pcp with that kind of complaint so like Mm -hmm. vague pain fatigue i really sincerely wonder what proportion of that population would be successfully treated by being treated for depression and anxiety because mm. most people that I talk to, almost everybody, like that mm-hmm. is the first step. They're like, I went to the doctor. Right, yeah. I was in pain. I was tired. They told me to go see a therapist and or mm. to take an antidepressant and also didn't offer any other like testing. So yeah. like they were so confident that this was a mental health problem that they weren't like, OK, let's look at both at once. Like, let's consider that there might be a mental health component and let's consider that there might be a physical component. So we'll run some labs and also maybe try this antidepressant or whatever. And that's but, hurting you know, people. It is. It is. It definitely is. And then, you know, sometimes when the, the person comes back and says it's not helping, you mm-hmm. know, I'm on this antidepressant for a long time. It's not helping a lot of my symptoms. They kind of then at that point just think the patient is making things up yeah. um, that they're a hypochondriac yeah. and they need to be treated for that. Yeah. They don't go to like, maybe they're telling the truth. Maybe I need to, you know, look into this a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And especially with the whole awareness um, of mental health, which is great. I yeah. mean, there's, yes. people are, are getting aware that depression can affect anybody and super common. Mm-hmm. So it's great that doctors are, you know, are also diagnosing that a little bit more and catching those signs, but Mm -hmm. they need to know when to differentiate, I think, a true mental illness, you know, an only mental illness from, you know, mental illness with chronic illness. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's it's just that part because it's no part of me is like people aren't really depressed. Everybody who's been told they're depressed is actually Mm -hmm. chronically ill. Like I am not trying to make that claim. It's just that it's the differentiation process that's so Mm -hmm. strange to me because it just doesn't seem to happen with most people at least initially. And that's 
weird. So I'm like, what proportion of people are actually helped by this system? Because my obviously like the people I'm biased because I'm only interviewing people who eventually found out that they were in fact chronically ill. So so like how much of the population never lands there, I don't know. But I'm really curious because it's like there's all of these little things that contribute to doctors just Mm -hmm. not hearing people or not believing people or not seeing what's happening. And that's hurting people. Yeah, especially if, you know, they already have a mental illness. Like I have anxiety Mm -hmm. and I've been diagnosed with it. I'm on medication for it. And so that kind of was a hindrance in my search of finding a diagnosis because they kind of wrote it off as anxiety. You know, Mm -hmm. some of the pain you feel and the fatigue, you just, Mm -hmm. which, which kind of boggled my mind. Cause like I said, I was like, I've had anxiety for years, Yeah, (laughs) for more than 10 years. And I'm on treatment for it. Maybe don't, don't assume it's anxiety. Maybe try and think it's something else. Yeah, like it didn't uh, all of a sudden morph into having all of these other yeah. new symptoms after being like relatively successfully managed for however long. And if mm-hmm. it did, that's still a problem that should be looked yep. at. Like, And taken seriously. Yeah. 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 <laughs> all of that stuff. Yeah. Is there any like big stuff about chronic illness that you've been thinking about or that have you thought of while we've been talking that you want to make sure that we talk about today? So another thing that, you know, would be great to just touch on is, is the misunderstandings that happen to people with chronic illness from people who don't have chronic illnesses. Mm-hmm. And I am, I have to say, I'm not innocent at all. Yeah. I thought all the stereotypes you know, before I had a chronic illness, you know, I wasn't the kind of person who'd be like, wow, that person totally isn't handicapped and just go up to them and yell at them. But you know, I had my prejudices and, Mm -hmm. and what I thought, and I had no idea that I had no idea, right? Like, that's how much I didn't know what it's like to have a chronic illness. And, you know, like I said, I didn't, I didn't antagonize anybody, but I still feel bad for thinking the way I thought. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just being prejudiced against people who actually are sick, they just don't look sick. And that's, you know, with invisible chronic illnesses, it's even more difficult, you know, Mm -hmm. because they just, you know, if you you don't look sick. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Classic. Great. (laughs) You know, but we really are sick and you don't see us at our worst because we don't want to come out at our worst. Mm -hmm. So you see us when we're okay. So it looks like, it looks like we're fine yeah. when we're not. We're yeah. we're really struggling. And and like, you know, for me, I don't want my staff to know. Right. I want my staff to know that 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 they're that I'm dealing with this and it's really difficult and both mentally and physically. And I can see, you know, that they're starting to get sick of it, that me being sick. They don't want me to be sick anymore. They want me to be in the office and, you know, they're getting impatient with me, which I cannot blame them, like I said, because I was that at one right. point, you know, and people need to get on with their lives. So mm-hmm. them being a little frustrated that that their manager isn't on site always is understandable. Mm-hmm. But just it's difficult for me, too. It's difficult for everybody. And then I think it's starting to get to the point that they think I'm like being dramatic and exaggerating yeah. how I actually am. Yeah, um, because I do such like I do a put a lot of effort into them not actually seeing me, you know, even a little bit bad. 
Yeah. And even if I am in pain that day, I cover it up. I don't want, I don't want them to see that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's problems any direction you go with a chronic illness. (laughs) And I think people without chronic illnesses need to understand that, you know, it's difficult though. You know, you can't explain it to everybody. Yeah. How do you? And sometimes you don't want to. Right. Yeah. You don't, well, yeah. Either it's too much (laughs) to just talk like about your illness or their business. Right. You know? Yeah. I don't shut up. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I think that's some of the tension is like, it would be really great if whoever, all of the people that I need to interact with in my day to day life just had a baseline understanding of what was going on. And it would be great if they could get that baseline understanding somewhere else. Like, (laughs) and then. And that somewhere else doesn't exist right now because it doesn't, you know, like there's if, if someone's really kind of dedicated and curious, like you can read a lot of writing on the Internet. You can find a lot mm-hmm. of blog posts, whatever, and you can kind of piece it together. But there's not like, oh, you know, just watch this movie. And this character is a really good rep- representation of what it's like right. or like a character in a TV show. It Like they literally don't exist. Yeah. They don't exist. It's just like positively portrayed people who have fluctuating health. It's not a thing. Yeah. And that's why, like you were saying, you didn't know what you didn't know. I feel the same way. And it'll be about small stuff, too, right? Like, I right. remember just, like, having an attitude about people who would only take the elevator one floor who looked healthy. <laughs> yes. Like, it's so small. And now I, now, I mean, maybe I would still, like, have that as a reflex thought. But I would mm-hmm. immediately be like, okay, you know that that's not a real thing. Like, you've been that person. It's, it's easy it's to difficult. know. Even with, with a chronic illness now, it's difficult to you know yeah kick those habits that mm-hmm. immediate thought of you know someone in a handicapped spot who looks fine yeah that immediate thought of you know they're abusing the handicapped mm-hmm. spot just pops in my head but yeah I think about it I'm like wait <laughs> yeah they actually probably are sick yeah like I know better now but it's mm-hmm. so entrenched and it's so like in the culture that even that, like what you just said, I feel that way too of like, oh, my brain still wants to think that and I have to actively it's like an active unlearning process. And that's yeah. from my own experience and from, you know, talking to so many other people. But y- like the, your healthy colleagues are like my healthy even family members. Like they're not having these experiences that are like constantly forcing them to confront their bias because mm-hmm. how that ex- well, again, it's not. Yeah. There. I mean, healthy people just don't care. I yeah. mean, why would they care? It doesn't yeah. affect them. So yeah. They just they don't care. Like who is going to be like who's who has like what person who has no family member or friends who has a chronic illness is going to look into chronic illnesses, mm-hmm. you know, if, especially if they don't have one too. Yeah. They just, you know, they don't, that's also understandable. And we do live in a culture that's kind of more leave the sick and poor behind. Mm-hmm. That's how we live in the United States. So that is ingrained in everybody, you know, not, it's not as dramatic as, you know, just leave them and just, but, you know, overall, that the attitude as a society that we have towards sick people is kind of just, you know, OK, let me get on with my life. Yeah. Just leave that behind. <laughs> yeah. And there's also a, like, I think in both cases, there's definitely a, like a kind of subtle assumption that if you're experiencing this, then you brought it on yourself. Like mm-hmm. you could have done something to prevent it. Who knows yeah. what it is? But I mean... This is also the like getting unsolicited advice from people. That's when it really kind of yep. rears its head is you're like, oh, they think that I just I'm not trying hard enough to be better. Like it's underneath yes. there. Yeah. And and, you know, and, you know, like I said earlier, it's a lifestyle change. It's changing everything 
Mm -hmm. And to be expected to adhere to that, to be as proactive as he possibly can be all the time Mm -hmm. is something that people with chronic illnesses need to understand. It's something that I'm still working on too, but you can slip up. Like, you're human, you know, you can take that break. You're not lazy for mm-hmm. just, you know, you have so much on your plate. You just want to do nothing, even though you feel okay. Yeah. You know, that's fine. And you need to take that a little bit because otherwise you would never have that. Right. You just would never feel okay. You're mm-hmm. always going to either be stressing about not doing anything or, you know, not being proactive. You're always going to stress about that or you're always going to be sick. Yeah. Or you're you just going to keep crashing. Yeah. You just, you do need time to yourself that, good time yeah so you know don't take that away from yourself yeah take that break yeah yeah take lots of breaks and I also really struggle with like not feeling bad and not thinking that it means something that it means something if I choose to rest before I've hit a wall but yeah it's a it's a process for sure yeah and it you know it looks it looks like you know to other people that you're just Mm -hmm. being lazy too right and so even people as close as your parents or, mm-hmm. or your wife or husband, mm-hmm. a lot of even them don't like understand yeah. what you're going through. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's at the heart of it. Oh. Yeah. There's a lot I like. There's a lot that I just want everyone to know the yeah. way that, you know, we, I, I probably use this example a lot, but like, I don't think that it's fair to compare chronic illness to cancer, for example, but mm-hmm. I do think it's fair to compare just like public awareness about mm-hmm. the experience and I think yes. that's one of the things is like of course there's a lot that the general public does not actually know about how chemo works or how radiation works or whatever but like there is a baseline level of understanding in the general population that like you kind of know what someone's going through if they're going through cancer again like with tons of misconceptions I'm not saying that like no I, I t- I'm with you I totally agree <laughs> there's so many movies and it's in so many tv shows and just like if someone that you work with, for example, gets cancer, like most colleagues will have some idea of like what the appropriate response might be. Right. They'll be more understanding and mm-hmm. yeah. and they'll still expect it to have an endpoint, which is part of the difference. <laughs> yeah. Like and you know, a lot of times cancer does have an endpoint, you mm-hmm. know, in one way or another. Yeah. But yeah, and so a lot of people are also used to that since there's so much cancer awareness. They're used to you being really, really sick, but you'll get better. Yeah. You know, that's why they get so tired of hearing that, that you you're just, still sick. Yeah, you're not yeah. getting better. Like, I don't know about anything that where you would yeah. not get better, so you must be doing something wrong. Like, that's yeah. the thing. Yeah. And, you know, I also, at one point, they thought, you know, they thought it was so many things. And yeah. At one point, they actually kind of thought it was Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm-hmm which is a type of cancer. And it's, it's a type of cancer that's extremely curable. You Mm -hmm. know, you go through chemo, you know, maybe for six months or however long you need it. And then you're done and it barely ever, rarely ever comes back, Mm -hmm. you know? So that would have been great for Mm -hmm. me. Like I, you know, and I told my mom, I was like, mom, I'd rather, I'd rather have cancer, (laughs) which sounds horrible. Like to anybody hearing that, even myself, you know? Yeah that's like such a faux pas, you know, don't wish that on yourself because, yeah. you know, you never know what you'll get. But I'm like, yeah, but I still, I actually do wish that. Yeah. Because I would have gone through six months of misery, but then I'd have been fine. Like mm-hmm. I'd move on with my life, but this is not that case. It's, this is stuck with me forever. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's hard to like, it's, it's like easy intellectually to say like there's, 
when we ever, whenever we try to compare our experiences to other experiences, intellectually, we know that that's like not a real thing that's happening. (laughs) But it doesn't change the feeling of like, what if I had just had a different problem? Like, there's there's something to be like, you know what, I accept it's going to be hard. I have to like, I'm going to go through something hard with my health. But like, what if it were just a different thing? Like, I think Mm -hmm. that's really again intellectually absurd but like emotionally of course of course like you go through that because right because it's really hard to like feel shitty every day or maybe not every day but unpredictably many days every week that's that's really hard part too like you just don't know when you're gonna feel okay yeah and people people get upset that you're constantly canceling they think that you're just blowing them off and work gets frustrated yeah but you just you just don't know how you're gonna feel any given day and difficult yeah yeah and that's like the heart of it is the like every day is gonna be like that cool forever yeah great great. thank you thank you (laughs) health determiners this is awesome (laughs) yeah um i think we've covered um most of the big stuff that i usually like to talk about so thank you so much for sharing your story with me and chatting with me in my I'm in a weird little like blanket for it today just to anybody who's listening <laughs> it's a pretty blanket yeah yeah this is it's nice it's warm but it's good but thank you well thanks for having me thank you for listening to episode 69 of no end in sight You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BennisB, and you can find space to talk about your own experiences with chronic illness using hashtag N-E-I-S void, which is all one word, and it's short for no end in sight, void, um, on Twitter and a little bit on Instagram if you want to join the conversation. And don't forget that you can sign up to support the show over at patreon.com slash no end in sight. Or if you want to support the show, but you don't have a few bucks to spare, I'd be just as grateful if you left a podcast review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Thanks for listening.